was a um, there was a small boy who was sent to bed by his dad. He said, "You know, it's time to go to bed. Go to bed. Turn the light off. Lay down. Be quiet." Five minutes later, he said, "Dad, what? I'm thirsty. Can you bring me a drink of water?" No. You had your chance. Lights out. Five minutes later, Dad. You ever have this? What? I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink of water? I told you no. If you ask again, I'm going to come in there and spank you. Five minutes later. Dad! What? When you come in to spank me, can you bring me a glass of water? (laughs) Oh, the things that dads go through, right? There was a... uh, there was a dad on the beach with his little daughter, and um, she came over and grabbed his hand and walked him over to the edge of the water, and she pointed, and there lied a little dead seagull. And she looked up at her dad with those big eyes, and she said, Daddy, what happened to him? And he said, he died and went to heaven. And she looked at it for a minute, and she looked at him for a minute, and she said, did God throw him back down? Hey, let me give you some good news about dads. We hear a lot of bad news about men and fathers. But Kingwood Church is a place that we honor dads. Uh, The lowest attended Sunday um, in church in America every year is Father's Day. But at Kingwood Church, it's not so. In in the summer, uh, for the day, we will be up today, and we always have been. Let me give you a little more good news about dads. 86% of current dads are spending more time with their children than their fathers spent with them. Now, I just want to say that to say, you're not going to hear that on the news, you're not going to hear that on the radio, you're not going to see that on the internet. I'm telling you, there's a lot of dads out there that are doing it right. I know there's a lot of problems, but I'm telling you, there's a lot of really great dads that are doing it right. However, I don't know if you know this or not, Mother's Day began in 1914. Father's Day wasn't an official holiday until 1972. Wow. Mom, we love you, but you're not dad, right? So I'm glad we finally caught up. One more thought. The, the federal government in America spends $100 billion a year on programs to support fatherless homes. billion a year on programs to support fatherless homes. I say that to say this. Unfortunately, we oftentimes don't recognize the impact of a dad until he's gone. And I don't want to make that mistake as a church. And so this morning, I want to take a minute and I want to honor all the really, really, really awesome, awesome dads that are in this place this morning And I want to ask every dad in the room if you'd stand. And I want you to make these men feel like that they are the absolute heroes that we know that they are. Would you just appreciate them this morning? We appreciate you. Come on, let them hear you. Come on. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. 
Dad, we love you, and we honor you today, and we need you. You're making a huge, huge difference in your life, in our life. So this morning, we're going to share water baptism in a few minutes, and I just want to say this to you. If you've not signed up to be baptized in water, I want to go ahead and say that um, we're going to have family baptism and open baptism. So in a few minutes, we're going to see some of our dads come and baptize their kids, and that's going to be an awesome moment for them and us. But maybe today... You, you feel moved to be baptized in water and take that step of faith following Christ, but you didn't, you didn't make that decision until now. I just want you to know that we're having open baptism. So at the end of the service this morning, if you'd like to be baptized, in a few minutes I'll tell you where to go. We have a, a shirt that you can change into and a towel for you, and uh, all you'll have to do is simply uh, exit the back doors and go this way to Cafe Mundo. We have staff that will meet you there. And we'll baptize you this very morning uh, if you'd like to do that. So it's going to be a great, great day. All right, let's finish up, um, follow up on our series called I Am. We've been studying the book of Ephesians this summer. Um, so all summer we're going to be studying the book of Ephesians. And I just want to encourage you, dig your heels deep into the book of Ephesians. Man, uh, maybe you can read it for your devotions. Maybe you can read ahead because you know where we're going Love to ask you to join us in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is about helping us as Christians understand what our identity is in Christ. To help us to understand who it is that we are. When you become a believer, you have a fundamental identity change. And the book of Ephesians is to help us to understand what that new identity is. And so we talk so far, uh, every week we're saying, I am something. The first week of chapter 1, Ephesians teaches us, I am blessed. Uh, last week, the second half of chapter 1, we heard, I am victorious. And then this morning, we're going to talk about, I am alive. What better day to talk about that than water baptism day? So Ephesians chapter 2, now we're in chapter 2, 1 through 10. If you want to uh, dial in there with me, we're going to learn about three different people. Here's the first one. If if you want to uh, take something, your smartphone or a pen, you want to jot some notes down. Here's the three people we learn about in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Number one, we learn about who we were. Who we were. So, so who were we? If you look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, you can see, if you'll follow me, a description of who we were. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. I'm skipping through now into verse 2. You followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. This is who you and I were. And following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. By nature deserving of wrath. So this is a description of who we were. Now there's there's... Kind of an umbrella term we can put to this. Who were we? According to this description, we were dead. According to the description of the Bible, to be separated from God is to be dead. Not you may be, you may be breathing, you may be physically alive, but to be separated from God is to be dead. Now, to be so clear-cut, this is an easy passage to misapply. People without God are dead, right? Is that what that says? Well, not really. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, let's say that you go home today from church and let's say that your spouse uh, is not a Christian. 
Or you have a friend, or you have an employee, a neighbor, somebody you know that's not a Christian, and you go to them and you say, hey, my pastor said that you're dead. He said that you're dead in your sin, that you follow Satan, and you're under God's wrath. Now look, I'm not the smartest guy that ever lived, but I'm just going to suggest to you that may not be an effective way to share your faith. Anybody follow me? So, so what, is, what is this talking about then if it's not talking about that? Well, you have to look back at verse 1. Who's Ephesians written to? What did he say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1? He said, as for you, you who? Not the drink. You who? You church. You Christians. You followers of Christ. Ephesians is written to the church. It's not written to the world. It's not written to the lost. So this is a revelation for believers, not for lost people. Nor is it about lost people. It's about Christians who used to be lost people. Now that seems small, but it is a gigantic difference. The truth is you and I can't even fully understand uh, all, of this, all of this aliveness. We can't understand all of this until, we, until God fills our own life. Uh, you've heard the saying, hindsight's twenty twenty. Hindsight's twenty twenty. It's always clear looking backwards what's going on in life. You know the guy who named the Hubble telescope, you know the Hubble that sailed through space and saw further than any telescope that's ever existed? The guy who named the Hubble telescope said, in hindsight, giving a project this grand, a name that rhymes with trouble, might not have been the best idea. Because hindsight is always clearer than foresight. In the 1920s, there was a man named Arthur Berry who was considered the world's most famous jewel thief. He was known as a gentleman thief. He was well-dressed, he was well-spoken, he would mingle among the socialites and the wealthy people of his day, and then, when they least expected it, he would rob them. And he was eventually caught, he served 18 years in prison. After his release from prison, he became a respected citizen in a small New England town. He wanted to separate himself from his past, so he thought, if I go somewhere where no one's ever heard of me, then maybe I can live out a quiet life and a peaceful life. Well, that worked for a while until somebody, somebody snitched on him and word got out of who he was in the town. So all the reporters from the city came to the town, and a young reporter asked him, Do you remember who it was that you stole the most from? True story. Arthur Berry answered, Myself. He said, I could have been a successful businessman. I could have been successful in a lot of fields. Instead, I chose to be a thief. And two-thirds of my adult life was in prison. I've spent a lifetime robbing myself. That's hindsight. Hindsight's clear. That's the way that you and I are to read Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. In hindsight, this is how we should look at this passage. This isn't about people on TV. It's not about your neighbor. It's not about people on the internet. It's not about people in another country. This passage is about us. Where did we come from? Who were we? In my life, as I look back, on my life before I was a believer, I can see the emptiness and I can see the void and I can see the loneliness and I can see the, uh, the, the meaninglessness in my life, the purposelessness in my life. I didn't see it nearly as much then. But now that I look back, now that I 
have hindsight. I, I had nothing to compare my life to. It was just life. And it was normal for me at the time. Filled with fear and discouragement and emptiness and lostness. But now that I look back, now that I have something to compare it to, and I look back on my old life and I say, man, I can see. See, this is what Paul the Apostle is saying. Don't you remember who you were? We're not talking about who lost people are. We're talking about who we were. We can't understand who we are in Christ until we understand who we are without Christ. We're dead. We were dead. You were dead. I was dead. That's who we were. To read this verse and apply it to anyone else is to misread the chapter. So the first person we learn about in Ephesians is, is who we were. Here's number two. Then we learn about who we are. Ephesians chapter 2, 5 through 10. Look at this with me and I'll just grab some of these phrases. Who, who we are in Christ. We've, he's made us alive with Christ. Raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. By grace, we've been saved. We're God's handiwork. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance. What does it mean to be alive? It doesn't mean that I prayed a prayer. It doesn't mean that I'm a church member. It doesn't mean that I signed a card. It doesn't mean that I have fire insurance. It doesn't mean that I've made a decision that makes it impossible now for me to go to hell. That's not what it means to be alive. To be alive means I have joined with Christ. I am united with Him. I am tied with Him. I am fused with Him. I, I don't know how this happened. But somehow or another, we've been presenting Christian faith and relationship with Christ. Maybe you've heard it. I've said it like this. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. Just pray this prayer. Receive Christ into your life. Trust Him for your salvation. and you're, You don't have to do anything. Now look. There is a way in which that's true. There's nothing you and I can do to save ourselves. But where did anybody ever read the New Testament and get the idea that we've got nothing to do? I mean, there's small issues like martyrdom, suffering for your faith, dealing with persecution, your faith maturing, serving, sacrifice. I mean, there's just small little things like that. Where did anybody get the idea we don't have to do anything? That would be like a couple reading their wedding vows and then saying, well, we're all good. Do you take yes? Do you take yes? I now pronounce you husband. Well, we're all good. Now let's go back. The wedding's over. Let's go back to living the way we did before. No, no, no. That's not going to work. Two houses have become one. We've joined stuff together. We've moved in together. We've shared our income. We've shared our bills. We've shared our high times and our low times. There's no going back to the way things were. This isn't a ceremony. This isn't an event. This is a life. Our identity as Christians is alive with Christ. Not alive with the American dream. Not alive with popular culture. Not alive with the life we've always wanted. It's alive with Christ. And it's his life we live now. And this is what it means to join with Christ, to move from death to life. I think we focus so much on the moment of faith, we've misunderstood the life of faith. Faith is an escape. You and I, if you're a believer this morning, we've already escaped. We've escaped spiritual death. We've escaped eternal death. We've already escaped. That's like not the point. 
The point's not what did we get rid of. The point's not what did we escape from. The point is what did we escape to? We escaped to alive. Alive with Christ. That's our identity. So what does an alive person look like? We lived in sin, but now we live in good works. We lived in the world, now we live in heavenly realms. We were dead, now we're alive. We had a sinful nature, now we're united with Christ. We were under wrath, now we're saved by grace. We're under the ruler of the world, now we're seated with Christ. We were dead even in good works, now we're alive by faith. What does alive mean? Alive means you are alive, live like it. Don't live dead. Live alive. Live Jesus' life in your home and in your marriage and at at, at work, at school. This passage sort of screams out at all of us, live the life Jesus gave you to live. Why do you think it is that these adventure reality shows are so popular now? You know, some sharply defined characters that live out in a field of moose in, a, in Alaska or mountain men with these big hats and they're digging up ginseng or uh, the Robertson family in the swamp. Why, why, why do we spend so much time watching these talk shows that zero in on the bizarre? Why are we so fascinated with lives of the rich and famous? I, I, I went on uh, uh, the internet Friday. And I looked under the, uh, there's a little section on the page I look at that says top movers. In other words, things that are getting the hits, things that are getting attention, things that are moving fast, things that everybody's paying attention to. And I just brought that list. This morning I just thought maybe we'll read it and see well, where, where's the focus of our culture right now. Let me, let me give you some thoughts. Kim Kardashian stuns in a white bikini. Chelsea Clinton's salary. Wonder if that girl's making too much. Leanne and Eddie on a fair. Oh, I, that'd be filled with wisdom. Madonna's daughter graduates. Full house star engaged. Bill Murray's epic photo bomb. But Bill Murray's always been crazy. Jane Fonda selling a ranch. Blake surprised for Miranda. Kendall and Kylie stun. Rockefeller heir dies in crash. Human Jessica Rabbit stuns. Mark Anthony's child support. Celine Dion's husband steps down as her manager. Wonder if she's going to survive. Clint Eastwood has a new girlfriend. What's he? Is he alive still? Clint Eastwood? Are you kidding me? I didn't know he's still alive. New girlfriend. Holy cow! Learn all kind of stuff. Jason Big slams Tara Reid. Into a wall? Sarah Paulson's shocking reveal. Sinatra's co-star dies. Sinatra? Wow. Quarterback's daughter is Miss Alabama. J-Lo sizzles in bodysuit. Billionaire heiress sued over unpaid $100,000 light bill. I don't even know what to say. Pink poses nude. And then here's what's funny to me. List the ones that made it like barely on the list, but at the bottom. <laughs> Rare yellow lobster. Stay tuned. Got to find that yellow lobster. And then Russian bombers near California. That's at the bottom. That's behind Kim Kardashian's swimsuit. Russian bombers near California. That feels like it should be a little higher than a swimsuit. What does all this mean? We have become spectators of life. 
spectators. Paul says to us in Ephesians, you are alive, live alive. You don't have to live vicariously through anybody else, through rich or famous or talk show or smart or or talented or anything else. Live alive, live the life Jesus brought you to live. A couple of weeks ago, as I mentioned, we went to Hillcrest Children's Home in Arkansas. And as I met house parents, a house parent is a a, a husband and wife who decided to dedicate their life to living in a house on Hillcrest property and raising, for whatever amount of time the children are there, the orphans who, who Hillcrest is able to attain. And so you may have three, four, five, six, seven, eight children living inside your home and they've dedicated their life to living as a family, living as parents of those children. I was just thinking, in contrast to the top movers on the internet, these house parents at Hillcrest don't need to live through anybody else. They're living an adventure. We met a man named Chuck who pastored for 33 years and, and resigned his church and he and his wife moved to Hillcrest to become parents of orphans. And he, had th- he has three sons. All three sons are planting churches, different places in America. When I met Chuck, he said to me, he said, you know, I always wanted a daughter. I have three sons. He said, I had no idea that God was going to give me nine daughters. And so they're raising nine teenage girls. Oh, nine did, I don't, I'm not sure that I said that right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Nine. Not four, not eight. Nine. And I don't know if you got the other part. Girls. I don't know if you know that's right. Teenage. Is anybody dialed in here this morning with me? And Chuck said, it's the smallest but toughest congregation I ever pastored. But I know one thing. He's not sitting there glued to the TV, surfing the internet, trying to find out if J-Lo has a new hairdo or not. He's living life. Brian and Heather are a young couple who he left his construction job to raise these little children. I talked to a little girl in line one night when we were at dinner. Uh, She was in front and I said, hey, what's your name? And she told me and I said, "Uh, well, how old are you? She said, 12. And when I was talking to her, another little girl that was beside her whipped around and said, she's going home Friday. Oh, okay. Well, what is that about? Well, her parents are coming to get her. And I thought, wow, that's a, and you could tell that was a, I said, well, so I thought, well, probably she's been here, you know, maybe three or four months, five months. And I said, well, how long have you been here? She said, four years. This girl was eight years old when she came to this orphanage, and now she's 12. And a lot of the memories of her life are in that orphanage. And now, and now Friday, it's like Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever the day. Now Friday, she's going home. I mean, whatever that means. I don't know what that means. I don't know. Is that your original parents? Is that new parents? Are you being adopted? I don't know what that means. But I know this. For four years, somebody took, their, took her into their home in that orphanage, and they loved her like a daughter. And they cared for her. And they reached out to her. And, and I'm just saying to you, These people have found life in Christ. Verse 10 of Ephesians 2 says, For we're God's handiwork created in Jesus Christ to do good works, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, do you know why God put you on earth? He's prepared some really important things for you to do. He made you alive in Him to do these good works. So what's the point? Sell everything and go live at an orphanage? (laughs) No, that's not the point. The point is, you are alive, don't live dead. The point is, your identity will determine your action. Your faith isn't an event, it's a life. You've died with Christ and you've been raised in new life with Him. In just a minute, we're going to celebrate that in water baptism. And you know what we're going to say to everybody we baptize? You died with Christ and you've been raised in new life with Him. For what? So we can have a good church service this morning? So we can have a good event today? So we can all clap? No! So you could live! So tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, so you could live. You are alive with Christ. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. What lies within you today? Life. If you are a believer, if you've received Christ into your life, you've been joined with Him, you've been united with Him. Why? So you could escape hell? There's a lot more to it than that. So you could live now. So you could live now. Who were we? We were dead. Who are we? We're alive. Now here's what I want to do. We're going to wrap up in a minute. And if you're going to be baptized in water this morning, I want to ask you to go ahead and find your...